Today we are going to be speaking with the President and CEO of the International African American Museum, or the IAAM. Opening in late 2022 or early 2023, the IAAM will explore the diverse journeys and achievements of Africans in the Americas and their descendants in South Carolina and the United States. Dr. Matthews was announced as President and CEO of the museum in March 2021. She is an experienced executive, thought leader, and educator. She is also the founder of the STEMinista Project, a national initiative that inspires middle school girls to consider careers in STEM. Dr. Matthews is also a published and performing poet. Tanya, tell us a little about your education and background. I am probably the poster child of the non-linear uh, education and professional journey. I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area. I am the oldest of four. Uh, my mom is a teacher and my dad was a cop, uh, both more than 30 years uh, inside their uh, professions. Uh, and so I grew up as a classroom kid, loved the classroom, classroom loved me. I'm in all kinds of subjects. If you asked me what my favorite was, I would not have had one. Um, but I did come up in a time when we were really looking for and pushing young girls who had some talent and aptitude in, say, math and science to consider moving in that direction. And so I did. I uh, signed up for a special program in high school uh, to get uh, young girls, young ladies interested in choosing math and science. Uh, and they taught us that it was a tool, a tool for doing things. And then that started my journey into uh, my degree. So my undergraduate degree is from Duke University. I was a biomedical and electrical engineering major. Uh, with a certificate in African and African American studies, um, part to make me smart, part to keep me sane, uh, let folks guess which is which. Uh, and then I finished uh, grad school up at Johns Hopkins University, also in biomedical engineering, because I thought I was going to go home. Uh, and of course, that is a university in Maryland. As I was finishing up my graduate degree, I think it became very clear to me and perhaps to those around me that um, some kind of teaching, some kind of educating, some kind of explaining was when I would start to light up when I was in a room. So I actually started off volunteering at our uh, museum up in Baltimore, uh, the Maryland Science Center. They very quickly offered me a job instead and I literally took the position so I could write my resume. I had no idea that working in museums was a career uh, at the time, but when I got there, it all fit. Um, my love for meeting people where they were, getting them where they wanted to go, and occasionally where they needed to be whenever it came to these subjects and these topics. Um, I um, also led museums in Cincinnati, and then I became a CEO in Detroit at their science center and then stepped over into university uh, for a little while. Uh, while I was at Wayne State University, that is when I got the call about the International African American Museum. And I was, I was humbled and stunned that they would uh, allow me to take on this kind of path and this kind of journey. Uh, and so now I find myself here at Charleston as we are at, uh, you know, hopefully the 11th hour uh, in pulling uh, this museum and, and all of the dreams um, that has, have gone into it together. Tell us in more detail about the mission of the museum and how you were going to execute on that mission. 
So the mission of the museum centers around the untold stories of the African-American journey. And I think in, internally, when we're talking as a, as a team and a staff, we understand that, that untold is, is almost a metaphor. It's a very broad thing. It may mean whispered. It may mean uh, kept until now. It may mean buried. Uh, and so we want to honor uh, those stories. And so one, uh, actually the physical site itself, has been carefully curated, if I can borrow one of our own words, to help communicate that. So for example, you know, most folks realize now that we're being upon the site of Gadsden's Wharf, one of our nation's most prolific international slave trading ports. Um, and so as we think about how do we, how do we honor, how do you build on a space um, about that, but it's not just about the trauma and it's not just about um, the victory out of that, it's about both simultaneously at all times. So for example, we uh, uncovered a storage house uh, in our archeological dig. And, and it reminded all of us, and it will remind our visitors too, we're not talking about transporting people, not at that time. We're talking about cargo. We're talking about commodity. And so you're going to find those kinds of, of tools on this space. We have a storage house. You, know, you bring in your cargo, you store it, um, inspect it, clean it, label it, perhaps even hold it until the price goes up, right? Creating some scarcity. So for example, one of the things the historical record tells us is that there was a such occasion when more than 700 souls were being held in storage waiting for their price to go up. An unexpected freeze came through the low country and they all perished in a single incident, right? So we, we think about that and we have that space, but we didn't want to rebuild the storage house, but we wanted to honor the story and honor the space. So what we have is the outline of the storage house and it's cut across by two brilliantly polished black granite walls, polished so well that you can actually see your reflection in them. And then within those granite walls, we've got kneeling figures sort of representing um, the, the people that were in that place. But on the outside of that wall is where we've inscribed the Maya Angelou quote, and still I rise. So there are a lot of things that we're doing, getting folks um, to connect with the push and the pull of the African-American journey, even at our physical space, when we're thinking about our art installations and the way the building itself is designed. Programmatically is actually where the power is. So our programs allow us to be in conversation, right? They allow folks to, to dig, to, to ask questions. They also allow us to tie uh, the museum exhibits or art installations to what folks are experiencing today or what students are learning in a classroom or whatever hot discussion uh, is happening to, to bring things into conversation, but also to bring us into community I think for some folks, you know, um, going through a museum is a, it can be a solo experience. If you're if you're type A nerdy like me, you're like, okay, listen, give me my guidebook and let me go. I'm going to march through this thing sort of one by one. Or even when you're on a school field trip, right? It's your class, your conversation, your worksheet, kind of marching you through. The power of programs is that sure you're going to sign up for a program. So did 22 other people that you don't know. And so it, it adds, I think, something to the, the conversation. So we'll have programs around the different exhibits. You know, for example, we've got an American Journeys exhibit, so that maybe we'll talk about some um, well-known American events, but through an African-American lens or highlighting African-American stories. We have the Gullah Geechee Gallery, so perhaps we will have cooking classes. My fingers are crossed uh, for, for things like the cooking classes uh, and sort of cultural exploration conversations that center around 
around that as well. And we've got the Center for Family History. So maybe it's a genealogy program or a genealogy class. So as we build out the programs, they're about being able to emphasize and give folks time to take a deep dive uh, into conversations that we're talking about in our physical spaces. Talk to us about your experience with organizational diversity and inclusion initiatives and how that has helped you prepare for this role. Yeah, so I am a, a certified diversity professional, one by training, two by nature of the beast, uh, I think in that space. And I agree, um, you know, the conversations around diversity and inclusion are hard. If they weren't, we would have fixed all of this already. I like to think in terms of the big idea. Now, everyone's got their favorite acronym, so this is the one I'm working with today. So idea as in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And I like to actually start with inclusion because it reminds us that inclusion is about who's already here. Right? If you haven't figured out who, how to include who's already here, who's already in your circle, in your space, in your classroom, you're gonna have a real hard time welcoming in sort of new folks, right? Diversity is about who's missing. Um, equity is about acknowledging that the only reason we're having a conversation around equity is because inequity has happened previously. Otherwise, you don't have to have that conversation. And it's about um, the courage um, to move beyond equal, right? I identical, right? So equity um, was caused by inequity and when we think about allocating resources or time or space it's going to require some quote-unquote inequity to get us there accessibility is what happens when you ignore the first three okay so when we, if we haven't learned sort of these these lessons and how to apply every time we engage with with difference we get into the accessibility space what i find interesting about these times is we are essentially Think of it being like at the peak of a mountain, right? And we can roll back down the mountain to the left or we can roll back down the mountain to the right. Uh, and this, I think, is what makes me um, the most hope hopeful uh, and the most anxious about, about this time. Um, you know, humans like to have short memories sometimes. Outside of the historians, uh, most of us are kind of day by day and there's always the opportunity to forget. Um, there's always the opportunity to move on uh, without the lessons uh, learned. Um, but in anything, in, in business, um, in studying, in classrooms, in work, in relationships, it's always easier to learn from your mistakes than it is from learning to seemingly get it right the first time, right? It's, it's hard in terms of that. And so as challenging as these times have been, we have been forced into conversations we've been trying to avoid for quite some time. And I'm hoping that we have the opportunity to snap the rubber band rather than just stretch it and have it snap back. But I think I'm seeing evidence of the fact that we have gotten to a point where, you know, you can't unsee, I think, what you've seen. And I think the most powerful thing about that is, you know, folks have seen some, some terrible, some, some horrible things, but they're still here. Uh, it, it wasn't quite as bad um, as we thought it might be, but more importantly, when we came out of that space, we were better, right? Um, more, more meaningful conversations, uh, a deeper understanding, and every once in a while, the chance to actually do something, you know? Um, I agree that our victories are sometimes far, few and far between, but they are victories. Uh, and they, they are moments um, for applause and, and momentary celebration. And so I think that a big, big part of this is one of my favorite phrases is 
wow, I didn't know that. Huh, I'm gonna have to think about that. Boom, done, job, job done, right? This is, this is not about, um, you know, uh, us declaring a specific way forward. It is about us declaring that there's some things about your journey, our journey that we haven't been told yet. And you might wanna know this before you take the next steps. And so for me, the phrase, hmm, I'll think about that, is, is actually where, where victory comes in. Talk about the role the arts and design have on delivering effective programming at the IAAM. So I am a whole brain kind of person. I have been uh, since I was a kid. You know, I've got a background in engineering and I'm also a published uh, poet. And so I'm very sensitive um, to, to the power of both of those things, love them all. When I think about a space like this museum, all of that starts to come together in really interesting ways. Um, the secret superpower of art um, comes in many forms. One of those is that um, art is powerful and the, the language, the, the colors, the visualizations speak to humans on many, many levels, right? Um, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, simultaneously. So there's that power. The other power is the assumption that art and culture is a safe space for disagreement. Two people can walk up to a $100 million painting, one person can say, love it, the other person can say, hate it, they're not gonna come to blows over this, right? It's, it's a really good and, and important conversation, but there is not an assumption um, that we all have to agree on a single piece of art, that we all have to bring something uh, to a single piece of art. So the power of that in conversations as contentious as the ones that we're having around race, around history, around diversity and inclusion, um, being able to think through, so how do we use the, the power of, of art um, to create a level playing field? The, this idea that people can be bringing different experiences and different understandings to uh, to the table in that. Um, and I also think that there is a lesson in art because while we always talk about art and culture and their universality, I as someone who's even in museums and, and my fellow professionals also have to own that museums themselves where we house this art have not always been safe spaces um, for all kinds of people and all kinds of voices and right. And so it reminds us um, to be conscientious and deliberate about the, the power and the advantage of art, but also um, that there have been times when we haven't used that power uh, to, it, to its full potential, that we've used it to exclude um, rather than include. Uh, and so because of that, I think bringing all of that together in this kind of space um, can, be, can be a game changer uh, in, in terms of making folks um, a little more comfortable uh, at, at the table. Um, and I don't know, sort of curious, more, more curious about what we don't know than I think that we do in our everyday lives. Tell us about the opening. I think for me, as we, as we march towards the opening and we get much closer to, to figure out how to, to open and to celebrate this space, um, hopefully towards the end of 2022, I think one of the biggest challenges for me is um, opening at um, the right time in the right way. Um, and understanding who our audience is um, and who we are beholden to, who will be watching, who needs to be included and, and engaged. Uh, it's more than just, I've got the keys, let's unlock the door. It's really about um, picking um, the moment that, that, that we can own 
and that our community can own along with us. Um, I think um, lots of folks, lots of folks have put a lot of heart, energy, effort, money, time uh, into this space. And it's a real challenge uh, to think about how to, how to engage all of us uh, on the levels that we need. Um, and then there are also, frankly, some of the logistical things. Um, I would not be telling the truth if, if I said I didn't lose just a little bit of sleep over the supply chain, which is still a thing, right, as, as we're doing this. Um, um, we've made it past, uh, almost past a major milestone, which is getting the quote-unquote box, the building itself, prepared so that we can, you know, put in the exhibitions, put in the, the guts and the experiences. Um, and then, you know, you know, once you, you get things up, it's, it's like designing anything. You'll get it all up, you'll look to the left, you'll say, oof, okay, we gotta fix that. We, we gotta fix that before the party, before anybody comes in here. Uh, so there will be that phase, uh, I think, too, uh, in that space um, as well. So, so the focus are really around picking um, the right moment um, that celebrates um, who we are and why we are as a museum, um, as well as making sure that we look as, as good as absolutely possible uh, when, we, when we actually do get to that moment. And Dr. Matthews, as we approach the opening, what are a few of your thoughts about the importance of this moment? So, you know, this is a, a very, a very big project uh, and it's, it's very important uh, and it's got a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving, moving parts. Um, there are days when it's probably more stressful than not, days when it's more worrying than not. Um, but as I step into that space, there are also moments when I realize I've been built for this. Um, as nonlinear as my path has seemed, um, a lot of things that I've, that I've done um, have almost now begun to appear as preparatory um, for this moment. Uh, and that, that comes all the way down to even understanding uh, the story of Gadsden's Wharf. Uh, and we talk about how big an impact it has had on our nation when we talk about such um, the high percentage of, of African Americans who can trace their journey here, which, you know, uh, the numbers suggest that um, as I trace my own heritage back, I'm probably gonna be tracing myself right here uh, to Gadsden's Wharf. And so there is no amount of stress or anxiety that can distract me from the fact that I am a descendant and that I am here in this space and I am charged with this journey. It's a, it's a weighty privilege um, that makes me smile. Uh, and you know, we're here on the water and sometimes I watch the cargo ships pass by. The irony does not escape me and it almost makes me want to do a little, little fist pump. Like, all right, <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're still here, we're, we're back, we're, we're reclaiming. And it's not, I think, um, so much um, heaviness that I feel in this space as often as I feel the lift. As, as, I, as I feel the lift of, of folks who did whatever they had to do uh, to make sure that, that I could be here today doing what needs to be done.